Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to Vulgar History, a feminist women's history comedy podcast. My name is Anne Foster, and this is a super special episode. Today, I'm going to be answering questions that were submitted by you, the Titsop Brigade, via Patreon, Twitter, and Instagram. And the reason I'm doing this episode this week is for a couple reasons that all coincided in a really good way. Firstly, depending on how you count episode, like what's an episode of the show versus what's a super special of this episode... This may or we may or may not have just had our 50th episode, maybe. So that's worth celebrating as well. So just a week or so ago, this podcast that I record sitting at my kitchen table by myself with no production team other than me, just reached 1 million listens uh, worldwide, which is huge and wild and really exciting and makes me really happy. So that's worth celebrating as well. And oh, I feel like there's another thing we're celebrating too, but oh no, <laughs> the other thing is not we're celebrating. The other thing is just like, I got behind in my research because of life-related reasons. And this international season, which I'm having, I'm sure you can tell, like the greatest time learning about all these places, uh, learning just from books and podcasts, but also talking to people in Tits Out Brigade and learning about stuff. Um, but it's just more work than... When uh, it was just like 1600s England, which is a place I know, I don't need to be like, okay, what's the language? How do you pronounce things? Who's the king? What's the history of it? So anyway, I got a little behind in my research. And so I just need a bit more time before we get into... That's the other thing. Yeah. So we're halfway through the season. This is a season of, I think, what I have planned is 20 episodes. And we've done 10, I think. So it just felt like a nice time to, for all those reasons, just to pause, reflect, and answer some questions. So I'm just going to kind of go through these in a very chaotic and random way and do my best to answer as many questions as I can. So the first question I see is from Abby and she asks, if you could have a conversation with any of the women you've talked about, who would your top four be and why? And so there's other questions. They're all a bit different, but a lot of them have to do with me choosing from among the people I've talked about on the podcast and thinking about various tasks or activities to do with them. I like that this one starts off asking with four because then I don't have to choose. Just one, which is tricky, but I'm going to answer them as long as it's like a different scenario. I'm going to answer as many of these as I can. So if I could have a conversation with any of the women I've talked about, who would my top four be and why? So I'm... Uh, referring to the Scandalicious Scale document in front of me, because while I know a lot of people have uh, recently binged a whole bunch of episodes in a row, to me, some of these are like two years ago, and I like don't entirely remember who everyone was and what they did. But so the first person who, I, so just have a conversation. So this is like who would be interesting to just like talk with. I think the first person I would choose would be Melanzine, because she. Um, just was, I would like to see what she's like 
speaking. Um, so much of her story is how persuasive she was and how charming she was and how she's able to really ingratiate herself to all kinds of different people, which I think sounds like a very pleasant sort of conversation to have with somebody. And also she, well, this is an imaginary situation, but also I feel like she could quickly learn how to speak English because she was so good at learning languages. I would also like to talk to hmm, Catherine Willoughby, who was the one who, she's married to Charles Brandon when she was like his teenage ward, growth, awful. But then he died and then she married, did she marry Peregrine Bertie or that was her son? Anyway, she just, she was part of the Renaissance Reformation girl squad and just seems like a really smart, interesting person. Like, again, I'm just thinking, who would I have cool conversations with? Like, who seems like a cool person? You know, like, you know who I'm not choosing is Catalina de Arauso. Yeah, there's other activities maybe I don't want to do with her, but like to sit and talk with her, I feel like that's not, that wouldn't be fun for her or for me. Let's see, who else sounds like they'd be good to talk to? I'm just literally browsing this list. I think, I know you're waiting for me to be like Francis Howard Fred again, but I'm like, but is that, do I want to talk with them or do I want to like go out for drinks with them? You know, like I'm just thinking, oh, Mary Shelley. I think she'd be great to have a conversation with. I think she's also very interesting um, and had a lot of thoughts that I think would be cool to talk to her and learn about from her. And the fourth person I'm going to choose would be, um, I think Queen Margot, because she, I'm choosing a lot of people who sort of like hosted salons of like thinkers in their rooms. And that's, they're just people who I feel like would hold their own in a conversation and like listen, but also like have interesting stuff to say and like have a really engaging conversation. So those are my four. That's who I choose. Uh, let's see. The next question is Katie says, would love to hear your fave historical fiction book recommendations. And if you can recommend anything similar to Annette for Small Fishes by Lucy Jago, the Francis Howard book, um, in terms of a historical content and B writing style. So for this one, I did like, I've been collecting the questions for a couple days and as they come in, I've just been sort of like perusing them, thinking about it. And this one, I, um, needed to prepare because I wanted to have a really good answer just not off the top of my head it's always hard like to be like what's a good book I'm like oh I don't know and I can't remember any book I've ever read so I also consulted with friend of the podcast Alison Epstein who as you know wrote and writes the struggle fiction so Alison's first book a tip for the hangman I think always a recommendation just to I think it's a great example of historical fiction that's not like I think what Katie's asking here and this is what I like in historical fiction also it's not I don't love a book where it's like pages of just like, um, I'm going to mention like Outlander, for instance, which is a beloved book by many people, beloved TV series. But when you get to the book, there's like, I don't even know, I want to say like 12 pages where it's like, let me explain to you the history of herbal medicine. And it's just like, I get it. Like when I do these episodes, like I find some neat tangents and I want to talk about it. But like when I'm reading a fictional novel, I just want to get the people and the action and just only as much context as I need to understand the story. Anyway, so that is what I'm looking for in these recommendations. So, um, A Tip for the Hangman by Alison Epstein, always recommend. I'm going to also recommend a book called The Empress by Laura Bell Martinez. So this is a book that was originally written in Spanish and then was translated into English. It is set in 1863 in Mexico, and it follows Empress Carlotta, who is aka, I think, Princess Charlotte, 
So this was during an era when the history of Mexico is a thing I don't know super lot about, but this book explains that in a non-outlander way. So this was during a time when like the Austrian royal family were sent to rule Mexico. Um, and so Carlotta was the wife of the king. So she's known as Empress Carlotta. And so this book is not about like boring political things. It is in fact about her having a secret sexy affair. So there's, you know, royal court scheming and stuff, but also like it's set in Mexico. It's written by, I believe, a Mexican author. So you get that sort of understanding of things from that point of view. Another book I recommend is called Vienna Nocturne by Vivian Shotwell, who Vivian Shotwell herself is an opera singer. And this is a novel about an opera singer during the time of Mozart. So it's a woman called Anna Storacci, who was Mozart's muse. And so she's much more than that, but that's kind of like the hook to be like, who is she? So it's just kind of, you know, like a young girl and then she's married to a horrible man and then she meets Mozart and like pursuing her dreams. It's interesting and good. I, yeah, so one of Alison Epstein's recommendations was Matrix by Lauren Groff, which is a book I was like, oh yeah, when I was reading, I haven't read this, but Alison recommends it. So this is about a woman who, I forget when it is, I'm going to say 1600s, I don't know renaissance era uh so she's cast out of royal court for being too coarse and like unruly which is like okay um she's like descended from a line of warriors or something like sounds good and so she's sent off to be to run a convent and it's kind of the story of about like women and power and what kind of power do you have when you're a woman running a convent so it's all women characters sounds like or mostly anyway matrix by lauren groff sounds really good there's also so um Kate Quinn is a very, very successful and famous and talented historical fiction author. She's known for writing uh, The Alice Network, The Rose Code. Lately, she's been doing a lot of like World War II based spy books, which are great. I'm more looking just in terms of answering this question at books that are more oldie timey. But God, if you want to read World War II lady spy books, like can't do better than Kate Quinn at this point. Before that, though, Kate Quinn wrote oldie timey books, like the oldest of oldie times. So she has a series called The Mistress of Rome, which is set in like ancient Rome. And so it's like a series in the first one. She's an enslaved woman. And then by like, as the books go on, she becomes the mistress of the emperor. Kate Quinn also wrote a book or a series about the Borgias, famous Italian family. And she also has a book about Bodica, the warrior queen we talked about on the podcast. So those are great. Kate Quinn, always like a go-to author for historical fiction. The next one is a recommendation, not for this question, but just I first heard about it from my mother, who's like a big reader, the biggest reader. And she at one point suggested to me to read this book called In the Company of the Courtesan by Sarah Dunant. So this is a story. It's also in like Renaissance era. So it's about a courtesan who flees the sack of Rome in the 16th century. So she's in Rome and then she like flees. So she's like a successful courtesan, like the sort of person who is like in the context where she was like raised from a young age to like know how to do this job. She's accompanied by and the book is narrated by her BFF, who is a man called Buccino, who is a dwarf. And so they go to Rome or sorry, they go from Rome to Venice to start over using the various skills. So it's a lot of, you know, it's a good like grifting, schemey oldie time, but about sort of like people marginalized from society and what was their experience like. There's also, so Vanessa Riley is a great author too. She writes sort of like, um, well, she writes romance novels, but they're more on like the rom-com scale of romance novels. And she also writes these historical books. So coming out in July, 2022, 
as I record this in May, so two months from now, she has a book called Sister Mother Warrior, which sounds great. It's about the Haitian Revolution, and it has two women main characters. One of them is the first empress of Haiti, Marie-Claire Bonner, and the other character is Grand Toya, a West African-born warrior who helped lead the rebellion to um, the Haitian Revolution. Vanessa Riley already, so that's coming in July. She has a previous book called Island Queen, which is a true story, but it's a novel of Dorothy Kerwin Thomas, a free woman of color who rose from slavery to become one of the wealthiest and most powerful landowners in the colonial West Indies. So these, I love Vanessa Riley's books because like she is a black author and she's writing about um, black characters mostly. And again, you know, it's like lesser known figures from history, but a figure who we all know. If you are listening to this episode, I assume you've listened to a lot of my other episodes and you know who Mary Toft is, the um, who had the rabbit situation. There's a novel by Dexter Palmer about her called Mary Toft or the Rabbit Queen, which retells the story of Mary Toft. It's um, a lot of it's from the point of view of like the men who are in the situation, but it's like various like different narrators sort of exploring like it's such a wild story. The book came out around the same time I did the podcast episode. So I was like, wow, Mary Toft is in the wind right now. Then another recommendation from Allison is, I don't know how to pronounce this, so I'll try. Um, Kai Kei by Vashnavi Patel. It's spelled K-A-I-K-E-Y-I. So this is a historical fiction book, a retelling of the life of the uh, queen from the Ramayana, an Indian epic poem. So you know how there's so many, like there's those super popular books right now about like Greek mythology women's like Circe um, by Madeline Miller she also did the Song of Achilles uh, the Trojan Women series by Pat Barker Ariadne by Jennifer Saint like these are having a moment like women of mythology and so Kaikei is a similar sort of thing but like from an Indian point of view which sounds super interesting um, and there's also asexual representation in this story which intrigues me I haven't read it yet myself but Allison recommends it And then I also want to recommend Outlawed by Anna North. This is a book from, I think, last year. It was one of the Reese Witherspoon book club picks. It's really interesting. So it's historical fiction, but like slight um, fantasy or like alternate history, like a bit. So the main character, it takes place in the Wild West of the U.S. during the like Wild West era. And the main character is a woman who like is married, but then she didn't have a baby. And then she's sort of stigmatized by her society for that. And she ends up joining the hole in the wall gang, which is like a real gang that existed. And in this book, they reimagine instead of Billy the Kid as a leader, it's just a gender non-binary character who's super cool, who's called the kid. So outlawed is my last suggestion there. I had a whole document prepared because I saw that question was coming and I was like, I need to answer this thoroughly. Um, I love recommending books and yeah. So let's see what's next. Nicholas says, this is such a basic question, but I always am curious of the answer. Did you love history when you were in school? Who was the first badass lady boss in history that got you into it? Most and least cringe historical dramas in your opinion. Three questions in one, but I'll allow it. The first one is, did you love history when you were in school? Answer. Yes. So I'm from, okay. I've loved history since forever. Like not just like school-based reasons like i'm from nova scotia which is on the east coast of canada and it's a city with in terms of like canada based history it's like one of the oldest cities in canada because um the colonization started in canada and like 
well, I guess sort of 1600s ish. Anyway, Halifax is an old city. There's like, if you watch like the Oak Island Treasure Hunters TV show that's been on for a thousand years and they never find anything, like that's near there. So it's like, um, and also there's lots of old architecture, old buildings. It's like, you know, these used to be warehouses, like privateers and pirates came here, but now it's like shops for tourists or whatever. So like the history is everywhere. Um, so I love growing up with these old fortresses and stuff around. I loved going on um, trips to to see you know, these still standing like or recreations of historical sites. Like the French were there, the British were there. It's anyway, so that was like in my bones. Just this sort of like history is all around me growing up in a city like that. But then also, I remember as a kid, vividly, I don't know why, um, there's you know, those I can read books. I read the one, it was like Pompeii buried alive. I remember like I created like a play out of that featuring like my Barbies and made my family watch it. Um, so I was into you know, there's these historical things that like keep coming around that a lot of people are into as kids like um pompeii and like ancient egypt pyramids and like um knights and chivalry and i don't know i liked you know camelot and things so i was always into history just like as a thing and then i got into history as like a discipline i guess i had this amazing grade 10 high school teacher mrs mcpherson she was fantastic and so up till high school in school in Canada, you learn mostly Canadian history. But then when I got to high school, it was suddenly like, okay, let's learn like world history. And like Canadian history is interesting and important, but world history, like I'm doing with the international season now, it's just like eye opening to learn about all these different places. So I remember learning from her about like the Phoenicians, like Hammurabi's code, like she really made history so fun and so interesting. I had so much fun in that class. I can still remember some of the assignments I did. And I just loved it. I was like, oh, I like history. Okay. So then when it got to be time to choose what to do in university, when I was doing an undergraduate degree, I was like, do I want to do English degree or a history degree? And I chose a history degree. And then that got me, I had a really, really great, I had lots of really good professors. Um, I went to St. Mary's University in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Uh, Dr. Lyndon Warner was one of my teachers and she specializes in um especially or at that time like the history of the family so I took classes from her she's a sort of teacher where it's like anytime she teaches a class I'm like well whatever she's teaching I will take her class because I just know she's such a good teacher but yeah so I did, took a class from her that was about the history of the family and that was where I was whatever I don't know 21 years old and I learned that like the nuclear family was not it's not like that's what the family's always been like through all of human history it's like that was invented in the 1950s by like coca-cola or whatever i was just like what is happening like it was so eye-opening to learn a lot of that stuff from her i took a history degree just for the sake of like because i had to choose something and like i love history stories obviously but i never planned to be like a historian and part of that was because a lot of what seemed to me like history was so um uh, about men and wars and politics and things that were interesting to me. And I didn't know or I didn't realize that you can be into history and like, not that I consider myself a historian. I am a podcast host slash history enthusiast. But like you can specialize You know, people like Fern Riddell or Lucy Worsley, like a lot of, I don't know why it's British people, but who are looking at women in history, social history. There's great books about like labor unions in history. Like that stuff is just... One doesn't encounter that, um, or you didn't at the time I was in university as much as you do now, and not without really looking for it. So in terms of who is the first badass lady 
who really got me excited about history. I mean, I loved, I entered my interest in British history, not because I grew up in like a British colony, but because I went on a trip to the United Kingdom when I was young. And I saw the, just seeing the castles and stuff, like as like a history nerd, I was just like, paradise, this is amazing. I loved like Madame Tussauds Wax Museum, my favorite. And so I got into the Six Wives of Henry VIII, like so many people do. I took a class in university. That was I was so excited one year they offered it. It was Tudor and Stuart history. I was like, what? Tudor and Stuart history? And then the first day we went around, it was just like a seminar class with like 15 people. And the teacher was like, why are you here? And we were all like, I'm interested in Henry VIII. I'm interested in Henry VIII. And he was like, what is it about this fucking guy? He basically said. I realized now I was not interested in Henry VIII. And I never have been. But I'm interested in his wives. Like I remember... When we came back from that trip, I just picked up at all the gift shops, little like pamphlet books that I still own, actually, about him and the wives and Elizabeth and Mary Queen of Scots. And I wanted to learn everything about it. And at that point, the only movies in existence were like a silent movie from like the 30s or whatever. So I remember going to the like video store, like Blockbuster or whatever, being like, do you have this movie from the 30s? And they were like, totally no. Anyway, so the six wives of Henry VIII were kind of like the first badass lady bosses in history who I was into and I'm I'm saying them as a collective but I guess what I really mean is Anne Boleyn who's kind of like the most baddest assist of them all I read the David Starkey biography of them real pretty early like I want to say like junior high high school age me and that's where I learned about them in more depth um and yeah so that's what got me into it most and least cringe historical dramas in my opinion best historical drama of all time the tv show Rain. I will not be accepting any further questions on that point because I am correct. I fucking love that show. And why I love that show is because it takes a part of history that was like not super written about, like Mary Queen of Scots and what she got up to when she was in France before she went to Scotland. There's not a lot there. Like it was a brilliant decision to set the show there because they had so much free reign to figure stuff out. But then they also had some actual historical context to play around with. In like the second or third episode, I think... There's a scene where it's like the illegitimate prince of Portugal comes and like he's going to marry Mary Queen of Scots. And I was like, what are they doing? You can't just be like Mary Queen of Scots is going to marry the prince of Portugal. But it turns out he's a dirtbag. He's like scheming or something. And at the end, they're like, you know what? No one will ever know you did this. History will remove you. Like no one will ever know you even existed, which was genius (laughs) because he didn't exist. There was like not an illegitimate prince of Portugal at that time. The show just has so much fun with it, and I love people mock the um, the aesthetics of it, like the anthropology-level dresses that they sometimes wear and that sort of stuff. But what they were doing, and it was on purpose, and the costume designer was inspired by the costume designer from Queen Margot, great film, also one of the best ones of all time, who was taking, instead of like... I have respect for everything. Like, anyone who works on a TV or movie, like, kudos, especially costume designers. I know there's someone... I forget your name, but in the Tits Up Brigade, who like does costumes and TV, I'm so excited. That's your job. Dream job. Anyway, I love the way that you can interpret stuff. So, you know, when people are like, oh, in this movie, like whatever, it's like, that's not the kind of plates they would have had then. Or like that doorknob isn't accurate. Or when people like talk about the costumes, like I like to have a thing like rain, how they have like a flavor of the era, but then it looks cool to modern times because if you had Mary Queen of Scots was like she was from France when she went to Scotland she stood out she didn't fit in because she dressed much more fashionably and you can say that but then when you have somebody dressed in like whatever 1500s clothes like 
I wouldn't know like oh that's actually like much more fashionable than that other person also in like a rough collar or whatever but they have her dressing like we see like very fashion forward very um like fashion girl like and we get that we get that that's what she's like and like a movie inherently is never realistic or a tv show like it can't be it's like there's lighting people are standing in certain ways like they're saying lines that were memorized so the fact that some people get really hung up on like oh but that's not the right sort of corset or whatever it's like yeah and if someone's trying to do that i guess you can critique it like robert eggers does he just had that viking movie he did the witch he's like wildly a stickler for historical accuracy and if that's what you're doing then like lean into it and good for you but if you're not just like let people have fun um and that is why I love that show. Um, Magnificent Century, also the best. Um, the Turkish show that tells the story of Harem Sultan. Similar aesthetic. Um, it's really shot in this like very melodramatic soap opera-ish way. I love it. Like history, uh, like the shows like that, like they make it fun and interesting, which is like what I do with this podcast or what I hope I do with this podcast. Because so much of history, it's like we have to be serious about it and treat these people like they're gods or whatever, where it's like, no, they're just assholes grifting and trying to do the best they can um and i i love things that lean into that the most cringe historical dramas i have concerns about there's a new on stars they have a tv series coming up soon maybe now i don't know um about queen elizabeth the first um as a teen so like cool young teen elizabeth the first so i'm like is this gonna be like rain cool and elizabeth the first if so into it and I hope and trust that the trailer is just being kind of like titillating on purpose, but they show her with Thomas Howard, who's like the adult man who like groomed and sexually assaulted her in kind of a scene that looks kind of sexy. And I'm like, oh no, like, please don't do that. So like the most cringe things to me are when something that, you know, I'm okay taking, changing things in history to make something be a story. You have to do that for fiction. But when you take something and reframe it as like not gross, or not awful like when you take something awful and just okay here's a great example there's a movie called jefferson in paris which is from like the 90s it stars nick nolte as thomas jefferson um tandy way newton plays sally hemmings the like teenage enslaved girl who he forced into sexual slavery and that movie is like what if that was a love story like that's cringe to me like taking something that is like objectively awful and making it be less so i also have concerns about um slash excitement but Bez Lerman has this new Elvis Presley movie coming out and like Elvis Presley married Priscilla or they started dating when she was like 14 years old or something and the actress they have playing Priscilla looks like in her 20s and it's like well this was actually <laughs> Elvis Presley took a child bride like can we like anyway so I don't know so things when especially when um historical power imbalances are kind of danced over that's what i find most cringe in historical dramas um let's see what other questions we have i'm gonna i don't want to do these i'm gonna like go back and forth so i answered this question let's see when did you start liking history stuff answer um when i emerged from the womb who is your favorite this is from victor victor's crumb who is your favorite historical baddie to study when you were in uni? And so when I was in university, um, I was just saying all that stuff about like, I, there wasn't really people, you know, it wasn't like exciting people who I was studying about. It was more kind of like societal concepts. It was like, this woman was a washerwoman and here's what she did. Like, I don't remember in university specifically, I wish, 
getting to like write a paper about some sort of like badass woman. What I do remember is I took a class about women and the family. And as our final assignment, we had to take a piece of literature written. I forgot the assignment even was. It was a history class, not an English class. But what I did was, and my teacher was like, you know what? You're the only one who got this assignment. And I was like, yeah, I was. Um, what I did was I took the book Dangerous Liaisons or Les Liaisons Dangereuses, which is my favorite book of all time, uh, colon, oldie time book. A great movie um, with Glenn Close and John Malkovich. There's also the movie Valmont tells the same story, Colin Firth and Annette Bening. Uh, Cruel Intentions is a version you probably know, or maybe with Sarah Michelle Geller and Ryan Philippi. Anyway, it's about two Dangerous Liaisons itself. It's about um, these two like evil, sexy aristocrats in France and how they like make a bet of like who can seduce who and then just they destroy everyone's lives around them it's like the best story i've ever read the book itself is so good because it's like written like a real diary or real letters like how dracula is but it was published and people are like they all thought it was like real letters and like who are these really about it was so scandalous and exciting anyway and i wrote my history like my final paper was about the women in dangerous liaisons and how they represent the different kinds of womanhood that there were um just the concepts of womanhood in France in the like 18th century, because the main character, um, um, Mertoy, she's like a widow, but she's like sexy and kind of evil. And then there's, you know, like the pious young wife. And then there's like the teenage girl. And then anyway, so the, the, my favorite historical baddie I read about in literally history degree was Mertoy from the novel Dangerous Liaisons. The Immaculate Witch said, asks, person you encountered in all your research that you hated the most now um to those of you who are members of the patreon you'll know that last month i did an episode about thomas jefferson and i was so mad about it i was so mad to have to read about american history because it's so talked about and there's so many novels about it and i'm just like i don't so i was upset about it but i didn't hate Okay, Thomas Jefferson, obviously dirtbag. I'm not being like, he's great, but like, who did I... I hated doing that research, but not because of him, just because of the whole context of it. A person in history who I just like hated, Hernan Cortez is the person who... The person doing my research who I hated the most. He was the worst person. So sort of like we talk about, like with Catalina de Arauso, where it's like the Spanish conquistadors were just like the worst people doing awful things and beyond that hernan cortez stood out as being especially bad where it's like he was like everything he did was awful like the fact that he i did a a, so this asshole episode about him for the patrons but just to briefly recap to the people who didn't hear that slash don't know he like just went rogue he wasn't even supposed to be conquering anything he was just sent to like make maps in Mexico, and he just started, like, taking over things. Um, and then, so he wouldn't get in trouble. He wrote in his memoirs, like, yeah, I just went to the city, and they totally just gave up to me because it was illegal or whatever for him to just start conquering things. But he, but if they give it to him, then it's okay. Like, he was just, like, fucking nightmare. Like, the worst person I think I've ever read about. Hernan Cortez. Let's see. Would you ever, this is from ABC Boulder. Would you ever do a tour of where the women in your stories lived? If so, where to? Oh my God. ABC Boulder. I hope I can do that one day, especially this season, as you're probably noticing if you follow me on Instagram, like just to get the context of all the places I've been following the, like the tags and the hashtags for all the like cities and countries that we've been talking about. So like Kashmir, Portugal, everywhere that Catalina went and I'm just like everywhere looks beautiful <laughs> and I have such wanderlust because I've been like 
basically stuck in my apartment for what, two and a half years because of COVID related reasons. I want to visit all of these places. What I think would be fun to do if I'm like one day a millionaire is to like just do a Catalina de Arroso memorial tour of like starting in San Sebastian and go to all the places where she went and then go to South America and go to all the places where she went and just see everything. It just Catalina's whole story had so much travel in it. That was exciting to me. But like honestly, everywhere, everywhere that I've been reading about, I would love to take like, I don't even know how long it would be. I don't know, but I also want to go to like England and like Scotland and Ireland and like see all the France and like, I want to see all the places where all the people were. So this is where I have an open invitation to all of you, Tits Out Brigade. If you're from <laughs> anywhere, anywhere that I talk about in any of the episodes uh, or you visit one of those places, like, please, like, just send me pictures. Like, I need the armchair travel experience. You can just like DM them to me, Vulgar History Pod, or you can send them to vulgarhistorypod at gmail.com. I'm literally serious. Please show me pictures of the things you've seen, especially if it's places we talked about on the podcast. I'm gagging to see Fredigan's grave. I would. What a pilgrimage that would be. I want to see Njinga's statue in Angola. Like, I want to just visit all the places. So that's my, like, one day when I win the lottery and I'm retired, I want to visit all the places. Uh, Here's a great question from Sarah, who says, what would you do if you woke up tomorrow and suddenly you were in charge of 200,000 llamas? And this is, you know, Catalina was in charge of 12,000 llamas, which is a lot of llamas. 200,000 is so many llamas. If I woke up and I was in charge of that many llamas, I would... Hmm. They're so cute. I like now because of Catalina's episode, I'm like following various like llama accounts on Instagram now too. But mm, first I'd like to just like go and like look at them and just like assess and be like, oh my God, they're so cute. But it's like so many of them. I need to make a plan for what to do with the llamas. I think what you do, or is it just alpacas or is it, I don't know, llamas, like what can you, what do they produce? Do they produce milk? Do they produce like wool? Like, I think I need to, um... I'm picturing like I wake up and there's literally 20,000 llamas outside my door. But I think it might be more like, here's the 20,000 llamas that are throughout the world. And I would need to like make a plan. And so some of them would be used for like milk. Yeah, I don't know, making llama cheese. Some of them, the, the wool, you know, they'd be sheared. We could make like a good sort of like self-sufficient like wool yarn company. And then all the profits that I make from all my llama businesses. I don't know what else llamas can do. Like maybe someone could be like little baby llamas, a petting zoo. Like I would just like divide them into groups and have different little businesses for each of them. And all the proceeds would all go to help various charities and save the world through my llamas, through my llama business. So if you, this is from Adventuring with Lamb, who asks, if you could have lunch with anyone discussed on the pod, who would it be? This is what I mean with like, okay, so specific who would I want to have lunch with now I'm picturing lunch like I'm picturing I'm on a patio maybe like leisurely like there's conversation but there's also food you know and I'm gonna just to help figure this out I'll think about like imagining that I'm going to their country and we're eating the food of their nation or are they offering me lunch in which case hmm like my immediate thought was Ronnie Ditta because when I was working the episode, I started ordering Kashmiri food from a restaurant in my city. And I've discovered I fucking love Kashmiri food. It's so good. It's like, I don't know if, how representative this restaurant is. Like, clearly it is of these, the people who run it who are from that region. 
but I don't know in the country what the food is like. Anyway, I love it. I love the mixture of spices. I love the dishes. I love these little dumplings they make. I love the like Kashmiri chai tea to die for. You know what? So I'm going to say that. I'm going to say Rani Ditta. I want to have lunch with Rani Ditta so I can eat delicious Kashmiri food with her. And also I think she would put up a nice, a nice spread of lunch the weekend. Um, also, I feel like Njinga would also. I'm not as familiar with Angolan food. I'm sure it's delicious. And also just feel like Njinga, her love of ceremony and like making things an experience. Like I'm sure she would offer me like an amazing lunch in her palace. Which of Henry VIII's wives is your favorite and why? That's from Babovich Babovich. Now, I did say that I first got into history in a way through Henry VIII's wives when I saw the figures at Madame Tussauds. Also a mega fan of the musical Six, which if you haven't experienced it, it's like on Broadway, um, maybe in Chicago as well in the US. It's always performing somewhere in the UK, including London. So like the pop musical of like the wives of Henry VIII. And that musical just really cemented for me that my favorite of Henry VIII's wives is absolutely Catherine Howard, who is not um, as discussed or celebrated as a lot of the others like I love the Catherine of Aragon like I love that the Spanish princess came out to sort of like help myth bust the fact that Catherine of Aragon was like born old and shrill but she was like young and the daughter of Isabella and Ferdinand and she was like fucking amazing um Henry VIII treated her like garbage Anne Boleyn is great I love the story of Anne Boleyn but I'm choosing Catherine Howard the same way that I choose when I choose like my favorite member of a band I always try and find the one who's like I don't want to always choose the one that everyone else likes. I want to like give attention to one who's like less celebrated. Catherine Howard, her story is so tragic and so interesting. Her whole deal was like, she was a teenager. She was, I forget. She's like the youngest of 17 children or something. And they didn't have any money to raise her. So they send her off. She was raised basically feral in this boarding school where Evan was just fucking all the time. Uh, she was um, various adult men, um, abused her sexually. And then she wound up at royal court like she was howard like the same howard family from tits out francis howard um so she got there henry the eighth like the family sort of helped but you know henry the eighth just really liked her like teenage spirit or whatever she was literally a teenager and then the, like what she got in trouble for was he found out like what you like fucked other people before me where it's like yeah when she was like 12 because she was like a victim of assault and then he's like oh no and he made a rule where it's like queens have to share their sex history or whatever like, and then she was beheaded and it all. I love her a lot. And oh yeah, and so she was there. Um, people who knew about her past started like applying to her for jobs and stuff. Um, and they're like, if you don't give me a job, then I'll tell who you are. So there's this whole blackmail side of things. Like it's a really sad slash interesting story. And I wrote a young adult novel based on it. If anyone out there is an editor or an agent who wants to buy that, um, vulgarhistorypod at gmail.com. Anyway, she's my favorite. Kaya asks, are there going to be any queer people with relationships? This is a question that really made me think when I saw it come in, because we're just tippy-toeing into some sort of queer history stuff. Like, we had Mary Shelley had her, like, friends who she helped sneak over to France, and then Njinga had her, like, um, group of concubines of various genders, and then Catalina was, like, we don't know, <laughs> um, but, like, clearly had gender stuff, maybe lesbian stuff. The next two episodes are going to also, or two people we talk about, each of them is probably going to be two episodes, are going to be, like, there's more queer history in those, but neither of them, one of them kind of has a relationship. I don't know. 
the answer to that is I don't know slash I hope I'm trying to like consciously be mindful of who I'm choosing for the show in terms of like queer identity like what country they're from what religion they're from all that sort of stuff within that there's not that many comparatively like queer stories out there compared to like non-queer stories so I would love to have one with a relationship. I would love to have, like, our flag me is death, but, like, tits out women, um, which I guess exists. That's, like, what is it? And what is it? Mary Bonnie? Anyway, those two lesbian lady pirates. I would love to do that, and I hope I will encounter a story like that soon. Comma, I'm choosing the stories based um, off of the scandalousness of the person and what they got up to, and some of them are in relationships and some of them are not. And I hope that some of them will be in relationships because we've had a couple. <laughs> Honestly, though, un- until this season, have we had any functional heterosexual relationships? I would say potentially not. Um, until we got to like Inez and Pedro and then Harem and her husband, like the Sultan. Those are the first like functional relationships we've had in any episode to date pretty much ever like most of them have just been like garbage awful relationships with like terrible men so um i hope we get some queer relationships too and yeah like in terms of planning too like i have when i'm looking for people to talk about on the podcast like i learn the story as i go you know it's not like oh i know this story let's do a podcast about it it's like i i'm in it i start researching it and then as i'm researching it i learn stuff along the way so i'm as surprised as you are sometimes uh question do you, this is from Rosie, who says, do you have a theory about the princess in the tower? So that's sorry if you don't know, it's like during the Wars of the Roses era, um, the Elizabeth Woodville's sons she had with Hot Edward, they were like, what was it? Richard the third was like, is Richard the third um, or the second? The third, the like baddie. He was like, can I just, like, take my nephews and, like, I'll totally look out for them. It's, like, sort of in Jenga vibes. Like, can we just come to this wedding? Ah, kill everybody. So he, the sons were, like, taken for, like, quote, safekeeping. And then they, like, were never seen again. Like, they were clearly killed. Um, I think bones were found at some point in contemporaneous history. So the question is, like, who killed them? And I think the answer is, like, uh, clearly Richard III. <laughs> or he got somebody to do it. There's theories that, like, Margaret Beaufort maybe did it. Maybe she did. Margaret Beaufort, definitely, I'm going to do a podcast about her in the future. She's my girl. I love her so much. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's like, you know, it's like with like the Jack the Ripper quote mystery where people are like, what happened? And it's like, why Why do we need to know? It's like the Oak Island. It's like, I don't know. Maybe there's gold there, but like, can we just like move on? Okay. Ellie says, if you had a meal named after you, what would it be? My answer would be grilled cheese sandwich on white bread like just with cheddar cheese, like no extras in it and a bowl of like really good tomato soup with like, but like lots of pepper in it, like really like a flavorful tomato soup. It's my favorite meal, guilty sandwich and tomato soup. Um, yeah. If I was, you know how like famous people have like a sandwich named after them or whatever, like the Ann Foster would be like, that would be that. That's like, I would eat that happily every day for the rest of my life. Um, she has a supplemental question also from Ali. If I could go back in time to see one historical event take place, what would I want to see? Hmm. That's a great one. I'm like, for all these questions about like things in history, I'm not thinking about like the pantheon of like all of history. I'm just thinking about like stuff. 
that we talked about in the podcast. And I think what I would like to see in history, I'd like to go back to when Fredigand disguised the army as trees. I want to see what that looked like. I want to see the army disguised as trees, the like people jangling bells to pretend that they're like cows in the field. I would like to see that happen because that's an iconic moment. Question from Aaron, who asks, why is my cat named Hepburn? So Hepburn is my cat. She is 17 years old. I adopted her 14 years ago. So when I first moved here to the city where I live, I really wanted a cat and it worked out luckily that one of the first friends I made was a person going to the vet school program here. And he let me know that there were some cats who were at the university who had been used for an experiment and now were ready to be adopted. I never learned what the experiment was. My first thought was like laser eyes. But anyway, so I, I adopted Hepburn out of that situation. And she is a tortoiseshell cat. And I never got to name a pet before because I have siblings and I'm the youngest. And when I was a kid and we got um, cats, I my votes were overruled. So anyway, I was just like, this is a huge thing for me to like name. Like, you know, I love names. I love names. And at the time that I adopted Hepburn, I was really into, I still am, but at that point, my main interest was like classic Hollywood, but then Slash. Also, I read a book and I started to find the name of it and I forget what it is, but I read a book when I was a kid about a really cool girl who adopted cats and she named all the cats after the different counties in Maine because she lived in Maine. And I always thought that was so cool to name a pet after the place where you live. So I had moved to Saskatchewan. I was really interested in like the movies of classic Hollywood. And then I learned that there's a town here called Hepburn. And I thought, well, that's perfect. I'll call my cat Hepburn. So it's like an ode to like Audrey Hepburn slash Catherine Hepburn. And also the fact that she's like a Saskatchewan cat. So Hepburn is her name. And then later, when I got more into history and stuff again, I learned that like Mary Queen of Scots, um, third husband, Bothwell was um, Lord Hepburn. So there's like historical context to it as well. Nobody asked me this, but I'll say, if I were I to get to name a pet now, I would name that pet Fredigand, obviously. Can you hear that? That was, as Hepburn's happy purr. She's happy I'm done recording. So, yeah, I thought this was going to be one episode, but it's going to be two episodes. And honestly, that gives me a really good buffer to literally finish the research for the second half of the season. So there's way more interesting questions next week coming up, including me talking for a really long time about some figures from Canadian history. So thank you all for listening. Thank you for... Thank you for being the tits out brigade. I love, I love you, the tits out brigade. Like, I'm happy to have this episode just answering your questions and kind of like connecting with you in this way. So all the regular reminders, etc. So I'm 100% serious. If you live in a place that I've talked about in literally any episode, or if you visit one of those places, send me pictures. Uh, you can DM on Instagram, vulgar history pod. You can email vulgar history pod at gmail.com. And also vulgarhistory.com, there's a little form there where you can suggest people who you want me to cover. You can also suggest those on Instagram or also on Twitter. We're on Twitter at vulgarhistory, although most of the action is truly Instagram and stories. The Patreon, patreon.com slash Writer, if you want to support and um, get some bonus episodes, if you want to hear me screaming about Hernan Cortez, 
Thomas Jefferson. That's where that all happens. And then also the Vulgar History store, which is vulgarhistory.store. Remember to use code TITSOUT for free U.S. shipping or TITSOUT10 for 10% off all of our merch, which now includes some really cute new summer sort of like Barbie inspired design. It says tits out. It looks very like 1970s Malibu Barbie-esque. There's like slides, like shoes, like shower shoes, t-shirt stickers, all kinds of cute stuff. So you can just like rep being a tits out person out in the world. Next week, more answers to more questions. And until then, keep your mask on and your tits out. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.